Please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be reading from John 12, verses 12 through 16. John 12, 12 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. On the next day, the, crowd, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. Let's pray. Father, every good gift comes from you. Give your people ears to hear and give me the words to preach your gospel. May the meditation of our hearts uh, be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Father, hear the prayers of your people, and may I speak faithfully what I've prepared. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Please be seated. Jerusalem was a fascinating time during the Passover. Uh, Jews from all over the world traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate this religious holiday. Uh, the city, they say that the city swelled six times its usual size as over two million people came to offer sacrifices at the temple. It makes sense, uh, if you consider that, why Jesus' parents um, had trouble finding him when Jesus was lost as a boy. It says it took three days for them to find him. And uh, you can imagine the fear and worry Joseph and Mary must have felt as they uh, searched all over for their boy. Now, about 20 years later, Jesus is entering Jerusalem. This time, it, it wasn't an exciting family, family trip to the most important city in Israel. Uh, this time it was a dang dangerous journey into the lion's den. Jesus was the enemy number one of the Jewish state. The chief priests and the Pharisees were seeking to arrest Jesus and to kill him. Jesus knew what awaited him in Jerusalem, yet he was not afraid, and he still came there. On the way there, he told his disciples, that, uh, that he was going to be arrested and suffer and be put to death. But Jesus was not afraid. He trusted God with his life. After all, he came to do his Father's will and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the scripture tells us that as Jesus was riding the donkey on the way to Jerusalem, as he was approaching Jerusalem, he looked at the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day 
the things which make for peace. And so he solemnly entered the city, and a large crowd greeted him with shouts of jubilation. The king of kings peacefully entered the gates, riding on a donkey. It wasn't a degrading thing in those days to ride on a donkey. Um, rich men rode donkeys, and when kings came in peace, they rode on a donkey. And so the people greet Jesus with, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. At this moment of triumphant entry, we see two different reactions. We see Jesus' reaction. Um, he was serious, he was focused, and he was sad. And we also see the reaction of the crowds. They were joyful and excited and glad. The crowds didn't know what Jesus was about to face that week. Even his disciples didn't understand the significance of what was happening, even though Jesus told them three times on the way that he must suffer and die. Considering the political and the religious environment of that time, there are three different ways to understand why, why the people were uh, welcoming Jesus in this way. Uh, some people most likely were excited that Jesus uh, is coming as their king to free Israel from their Roman overlords. Jerusalem hasn't been independent for over a hundred years. Jesus' miracles made it clear to the people that this man was the Messiah. The Messiah they were expecting for hundreds of years. Uh, he could raise people from the dead he could make blind men see. This was their superhero. He would fight for, fight for them. He would fight for Israel. He would fight against the Romans and restore Israel to its former glory. They wanted him to be the king, their king. And it was about time, I suppose they thought, it was about time the Jews stopped being fearful of the Romans. Viva Judea! Otherwise, why were they waving the palm branches uh, that signified independence and victory? Another reason why the crowds shouted Hosanna could be was that they were actually, they actually believed that Jesus uh, was the Messiah, that he was the promised one, the foretold Messiah that would come not as a conquering king, but as a suffering servant. After all, he was entering Jerusalem peacefully. Could it be that the people overheard Jesus foretelling his suffering and death? Could it be that they made the connection with Isaiah's prophecy? Or maybe they uh, remembered Zechariah's prophecy, where Zechariah prophesied and said, Rejoice gladly, O daughter of Zion! Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humbled and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt. The foul, uh, foul of a donkey? The foal of a donkey. Although I doubt that is the case, um, we read that even his disciples, right, to whom it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, even they didn't understand what was happening. They were limited in their understanding until after Jesus resurrected and opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
If the disciples, if the disciples, let's imagine if they did understand what Jesus was telling them, if they did believe the words that he was telling them, then would Peter be afraid of the servant girl to the point of denying his Savior? And if the disciples believed what Jesus told them, would they be hiding in the room with the door locked after Jesus' death because of their fear of the Jews? Now, there's a, a third reason why some, I suppose some were there to, uh, to jubilate. And it may be that they were there because, you know, the crowds were there and then... And um, it was just something that was fun and exciting for them to do. Uh, it was time of feasting and celebration. Reciting passages from Psalm 119 uh, must have been, you know, that, that's what they did. They carried palm branches and uh, during the Feast of the Tabernacles, and they recited scripture. Going to Jerusalem for Passover was a family tradition. It was something respectable Jews living in Judea did. They went along to get along. They lived and let live. Or not. One day they shouted Hosanna, the next day they shouted crucify him. Now in our day, um, this group would be called the conservatives. They may even go to church regularly and speak perfect Christianese. Uh, when it's Easter, they, they hear about Jesus at church, but look forward to the Easter bunny at home. They sing about, uh, when it's Christmas, they sing about or, uh, Jesus at church, but that morning, they anticipate Santa Claus. They look forward to his gifts. They may even take, uh, they may be, even be willing to take up arms to keep in God, we trust on the dollar bill, but actually never trust Jesus with their life or worship him as God. They, uh, maybe in 2012, they were against same-sex uh, same marriage, but in 2024, they're totally on board because it's, it's the loving thing to do, right? It's their choice. Let them do it. Yes, abortion, uh, abortion is terrible, but, but women should have a choice. But Jesus wasn't headed to the palace to take over the Jewish kingdom. He wasn't in Jerusalem because he was a man of tradition or a church-going man. He was on his way to cleanse the temple and usher in the kingdom of God. He was bringing peace to men with whom God was pleased. He was bringing kingdom of heaven to the hearts of men. John says, as it is written, by riding on, the young, on a young donkey, Jesus fulfilled what was prophesied by Zechariah 500 years before. During Zechariah's time, there was no king in Jerusalem because Judea, or Israel, was under um, occupation. They were in captivity. Now, see how sovereign the Lord is that he prophesied something 500 years before when somebody could look around and see the, 
How could that be? We have no king, we have no nation. And that God is so sovereign over history of the world that it doesn't matter how long it takes him to do it, he will make his plan, he will accomplish his plan, what he has destined to do, he will make happen. No person, good or bad, important or unimportant, Joe Biden or Vladimir Putin, is outside his rule or authority. All will answer to him. All will happen according to his will. This is your God, Christian. Why are you still afraid? Listen to what Isaiah, or to what Isaiah prophesied, to what the Lord was saying about himself. In Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 11, God says, Remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, your transgressors. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose is from a far country, Truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. And then John also quotes a passage and he says, fear not. Now when we compare a passage from uh, Zechariah, that, that is where uh, John is quoting, uh, when we compare the passages from Zechariah and the passage from the Gospel of John, we will notice that the prophet, doesn't, the prophet Zechariah doesn't me- mention the command, fear not. Uh, to explain this, to help us understand, John Calvin points out that the words of the prophet indeed are different. For he exhorts believers to gladness and rejoicing. But the evangelist has here described how our hearts exult with true joy. It is when that fear is removed with which all must be tormented until being reconciled to God that they obtain the peace which springs forth from faith. What do you fear? What are you afraid of? Biblically speaking, there are two types of fears, two kinds of fear. There is a right kind of fear and a wrong kind of fear. One fear comes from faith and the other from unbelief. The first kind of fear is is what I call, or what others call as well, the holy fear. Holy fear prevents somebody or someone from, uh, for example, kicking the Bible like a football during a Super Bowl-themed sermon illustration. I'm not even making this up. Last Super Bowl, this is what happened. Many churches. Uh, Those who have this fear will not shout, crucify him. Those who have holy fear have reverence and respect for God and all things sacred. It's the kind of fear that we as lesser beings owe to God. It's the fear of the Lord that is the source of all wisdom. Now, the second kind of fear is what I call sorry fear. It's what makes us reluctant, worried, 
and distressed. It is a painful emotion excited by an expectation of evil or impending danger. It is a fear of failure. It is fear of man. It is fear of nature. It is fear of the future. It is fear of abandonment. It is fear of death. This kind of fear clouds our minds and makes us stupid and irrational. It's the kind of fear that leads to sin and doubt. It's the kind of fear that comes from sin and doubt. Unlike holy fear that all must have to serve the Lord, this fear is self-serving. So when John says, fear not, daughter of Zion, what fear is in view? The fear that, it's in view, that is in view here is that sinful fear. It is the fear of failure. It is the fear of man. It is the fear of the future and the fear of death. Our Savior was tempted in many ways, in all the same ways as we are, yet he did not sin. And he did not fear. When we are afraid or distressed, let us not forget our Savior, but turn to him. Throw your fear and your anxieties on him. Fear, if I could uh, give you an analogy, fear and anxiety are like air bubbles trapped in a baby's stomach that cause pain and discomfort. Cry out to your father when you have fear. He will pick you up. He will pat you in the back. He will burp you. You, you may spit up on his shoulder, but that's okay. He will say, good job, little one. Let go of your fear, right? Cast your anxiety on him because he tenderly cares for you and he will give you peace. And John says, fear not, daughter of Zion. Notice to whom this peace is offered The Lord gives this peace to daughter of Zion. Daughter of Zion is a personification of Jerusalem, the same city over which Jesus wept before the cheering crowd met him. He cried, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. Now, Jesus wasn't grieving over buildings and streets and the temple. He was saddened by the unbelieving and rebellious people that he came to save. Daughter of Zion is a metaphor for Church of Christ, the redeemed of the Lord, the flock of God, the people of God. Now, before I go on, I do want to point out that this fear not is only for those who believe in God. Only for those who love God. If you do not trust Jesus as as your Lord and as your Savior, you are in sin. If you, uh, there is no other way to have peace in your life and to have peace with God until you repent and believe. If you have not confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, You have much to fear. But today is the day of salvation. Jesus, today Jesus forgives sin. 
Today, Jesus saves sinners. Also, fear not is not for you if you do not, peer, if you do not bear fruits, fruit with repentance. If you do not bear fruit keeping with repentance, you can be part of the Christ's visible church and have an unbelieving heart. Do not suppose that you are safe uh, just because you are a Baptist or a Presbyterian. Scripture says that God cuts off every branch that does not bear fruit. Without sanctification, you will not see the Lord. But those who received him and believed in his name, God gave them the right to become children of God. Fear not, children of God. As long as we live in this world, we will have fear. I'm not denying that. Often we are like the disciples in the boat during the storm. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And what does Jesus tell them? Why do you have so little faith? We are afraid and fear life storms because we lack faith. What do you fear? What are you afraid of? What sort of things freak you out? What sort of things do you sleep, lose sleep over? What steals your joy? What hinders your prayer? Are you afraid that you, you may fail as a parent? Are you afraid that your friends or coworkers won't like you if you act and talk like a Christian? Are you afraid that Someone will come and hurt your family while you're away? Are you fearful that you don't, you don't have an emergency fund? Are you afraid of the stock market collapse? Are you afraid of China? Are you afraid of sugar? Vaccines? Microplastics? Are you afraid of pain? Are you afraid of dying? What am I afraid of? The other day I was, I was with my brother. Uh, I was talking about, we were talking about coyotes. I think I heard some howling outside our neighborhood at night and we were talking about coyotes. And uh, he, was, he was saying how they, they live around, uh, you know, neighborhoods in Spartanburg. In the urban environment, there's coyotes. And how coyotes, you know, they're vicious. They, they attack cats and small dogs and uh, sometimes even little children. And this, this information wouldn't bother me much if I didn't hear the coyotes outside, outside our house, right, in, in the neighborhood at night. But after talking about coyotes, Fear started to creep in into my soul. What if, what, if, what if the coyotes come by my house? What if, uh, you know, Charlotte is in the backyard unattended? We don't have a fence. Our yard is facing the forest. What if, you know, what if, what if? I don't even want to imagine. 
But as this fear came on, I had two, option. I two options. I realized that I could either continue running scenarios in my mind about possible dangers that the coyotes present. I could start researching fences and watching YouTube videos about how to build one. I can, I can get a quote for 300 feet of fence and uh, pay for it and have it put up ASAP, right? And once I get the fence up, then I don't have to worry about the coyotes. Then I could worry about something else. <laughs> or option number two, I could talk to my wife about the risks of leaving our little girl unattended in the backyard and bring my fear before the Lord. I could pray that for God to protect us from wild animals and learn to trust him with my fear. And by God's grace, I practiced the second option. The Lord took away my fear and gave me peace of mind. Now, I'm not saying, what I'm not saying is, what was that word? Com compartmentalize. I'm not saying we should compartmentalize our fears. Right? I, I will be afraid about the coyotes while I'm at home, but then when I'm at work, it's a different environment. I got different fears. That's not what I'm saying. When we, compare, com, when we do that with our fears, we're not teaching our soul to trust the Lord. When we ignore our fears or try to distract ourselves from our fears, we're not giving God the glory. We're not coming to him and relying on him. We're not putting our trust in him and his protection. Right? We, we, we are holding on to that control. This is my fear. I got it. You may think that, that my fear about the coyotes is, uh, is nothing compared to your fear. And that may be true. Uh, but I just want to tell you, there's no fear too big or too small which God's peace cannot overcome. So put your trust in the Lord. And uh, listen to this encouraging word from Psalm 118. A psalmist writes, For my distress I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is for me, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. It is better take refuge in the Lord than trust in man. It is better take refuge in the Lord than trust in princes. So fear not, daughter of Zion. Jesus is your rock and your salvation. Fear not, bride of Christ. He sees and counts your fears. Fear not, redeemed of the Lord. He forgives your sins. Fear not, little flock. He carries your burdens on his shoulders. Fear not, sheep of the good shepherd. He walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death. Fear not, people loved by God. He will strengthen you and uphold you with his mighty arm. Fear makes us forget our Savior. Where there is fear, there is no peace.
Fear robs us of our love for God and for people. When we are afraid, we are selfish and cruel. Fear strips us of joy in the Lord. When we are afraid, we become men pleasers. People of God, Jesus entered Jerusalem on, the, on a donkey so that we may have peace. He lives in your heart so that we would not have fear. Let's take refuge in him. Let's cast, cast, cast our fears on him so that we can peacefully and joyfully honor our king. And how appropriate is it that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Sunday. This day, brothers and sisters, this day, fear not. Cast your anxieties on him. Trust the Lord. Train your soul to put confidence in him and not yourself. Uh, fear not, daughter of Zion. Your king has come to bring you peace. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you teach us to put our cares on you because you care for us. Protect us from all faithless fears and selfish anxieties. May the clouds of this mortal life never hide the light of your love from us. Let us remember that you promise to always be with us. Teach us to trust you with our fears so that we may grow in faith and obedience. Save us from our fears, Lord. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.